Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Midweek Show here on the Brews on the Balcony podcast. I am your host, Zach Zook, and as always on the Midweek Show, we will discuss some topics uh, from the games this past weekend. We'll hear from the rest of the panel as well. We'll get uh, the picks from TJ, Big Web, and Nick. We'll get Nick's fantasy angle and Big Web's gambling angle. Uh, I think we're going to have to do just logistically... Uh, Big Web will probably take the gambling segment by himself again this week because uh, the work life, the, the duty calls. So uh, logistically, we're... Uh, unable to do the uh, gambling segment together like we did a couple of weeks ago, but it'll be okay. Big Web is more the gambling guy anyways. Uh, He'll give you some hashtag prognostication, but on the midweek show today, I want to talk about Phil Rivers in the Monday night game last night. I think it was ended up being four interceptions, threw interceptions on each of the final two drives to uh, seal the Chargers' fate, and I'm wondering, is is it time for Phil to call it a career? We had the Hall of Fame discussion on the live show a week or two ago, but it, uh, boy, uh, the last two weeks have not been kind to uh, Phil Rivers. I also want to talk a little bit about the Bengals, who are, as of the recording of this podcast, winless. They will be when it comes out. Are they going to go 0-16? And off of that, I want to talk about a little bit about draft locations, because as I've gotten more and more into the NFL, and I've done more research on the prospects and done more research on the players and who's successful and who's not and the trends and why some people are successful in the league and some aren't this, this, you know, uh, theory of draft location where you're drafted has so much to do with it. And I think the easy thing is to just say that people overcome, you'll overcome no matter what, if you have the talent, but I, I want to dive more and more into that because I was kind of in that camp and over the past two, three, four years, I've really kind of jumped to the other side. So I want to want to go into that discussion off of the Bengals 0-16 because they're one of the shittiest franchises in the NFL and they're probably going to be picking number one. So uh, uh, where, where you're drafted matters, man. Like, do you want to go to the Cincinnati Bungles? Uh, and then I want to talk about the big picture, put ourselves in the, of the Jaguars, Mr. Coughlin, because that there's an interesting proposition that could potentially be a reality in the next five to 10 years. But before we get to all of that, let's give a shout out to our fantastic sponsors. First, we're sponsored by Cafe Telegraph. Uh, that is where we uh, host the live show at every Sunday morning at 1030 Central Time. Uh, Cafe T, they hook us up, man, with the par fried wings. I actually put my order in for the par fried wings on the air last Sunday. Uh, those of you that are loyal listeners to the show heard me do that. And it's because they are absolutely goddamn delicious. Uh, so head on out to Cafe Telegraph. If, uh, if you, if you can't make it out to Cafe T, watch us on Facebook Live. We're also sponsored by Kay Roberts from Remax Gold, one of the finest real estate agents in the St. Louis area. Give Kay Roberts a call. 24-7 service is her calling card, and, uh, she really does an excellent job. We're also sponsored by STL Distillery. STL Distillery, home of the famous brew vodka distilled from craft beer. You can also pick up some of their Cardinal Sin vodka, uh, only $19.99. So head on out to STL Distillery and pick yourself up uh, a bottle of their their fine vodka. 
Uh, STL Distillery also, if you mention Brews on the Balcony, they'll give you a free tasting, they'll give you a free tour, and uh, it'll make us look good. So go ahead and do that. We're all, we are lastly sponsored by Family Finance Mortgage, Sarah Barron. With Family Finance Mortgage, you can reach her at 314-537-1282, and she can handle uh, getting you started on a mortgage. She can refi your mortgage. Uh, great mortgage lender in the St. Louis area, Sarah Barron, 314-537-1282. Let's get into the show. First up, I want to talk about Philip Rivers and his Monday night mishap in Mexico City at Estadio Azteca the other night. It has been his time where he has mightily struggled under the spotlight. And it occurred to me last night, you know, I, I was back on my bullshit. TJ and Nick and Big Web give me a lot of crap for picking the Chargers every week, and I bet money on the Chargers. And I had uh, Kansas City minus three and a half on the show, but then it moved all the way to Kansas City minus six at the time of the game. So, of course, I slammed Chargers plus six like an idiot and ended up losing. But because I often pick them, I often watch their games, I've always, just for whatever reason, been drawn to the Chargers. I think they're kind of a fun team to watch with the current roster. I've always loved those powder blue uniforms. And because of this, I have a decent feel for the squad. And these last couple of games, I mean, really all season, but really over the course of the last month, it's become pretty clear to me, at least, that whether or not he wants to, it's time for Phil to call it a career at the end of this year. Because his body just, he doesn't have it anymore. And I think it's almost the unfair of us to expect from Phil what we're seeing from some of these other guys. Like, what is happening to Phil Rivers is normal. What Tom Brady is doing at age 42, what Drew Brees is doing now at age 40, it's unprecedented. We've never seen this before, and I think it's really easy to fall into, this is the new norm. No, I, I think that those guys are outliers, and I think that with the way the game is officiated today, the true pocket passer dart throwers will be able to play a little longer if they avoid hits, but the norm is what you're seeing with Phil Rivers. His body's just shot. It's done, and you can tell. He, there's this scout I listen to on the West Coast, and he, he always calls it, he says Philip Rivers is, has gone into YOLO mode. He just chucks balls up. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And, like, I understand throwing the ball up. If it, You know that last drive where he had to throw one up to Mike Williams and he got lucky, hit the big play? Huge officiating error by uh, not winding the clock on that. Uh, but, hey, it was helping, helping my side of... Uh, the Chargers plus six at the time, so I didn't mind one bit. But uh, and then the intercept, the two, the couple interceptions he had at the end of the game on Monday, and the interceptions he threw in the Oakland game, like they were terrible throws. Like the the one that sealed it on Monday night, it was just like, holy shit! Like, buddy, that was that was bad. And I know that Big Cat has the jokes for Barstool about how. <laughs> It fills down a score late every every week. What wash, rinse, repeat? Phil Rivers down a score late, trying to lead a comeback, and they come up short every time, every single time. And 
it's getting to the point now where it's like they're not failing because of other pieces on the team because throughout the large part of his career, it always felt like it was the other pieces, like Phil's surrounding supporting cast that wasn't able to get it done. It felt like for a while it was like him, Antonio Gates, and a bunch of scrubs. And it wasn't really his fault. He was having to overcome a lot, which he has in his career. He has had to overcome a ton. He's had to overcome the cheap nature of Dean Spanos, their owner, absolutely leeching on to Stan Kroenke with this new stadium and the move to L.A. from San Diego, which that's a story for another time. But he has had to overcome a lot. But I think now the team is having to overcome him this year because he's been, let's just call it, call it a spade a spade. He's been, he's been god-awful. He's been terrible. In 2019, he has thrown 15 touchdowns, and he's thrown 14 interceptions. He did not throw 14 interceptions all year last year. He threw 12 in uh, 16 games in 2018 when he led them to a 12-4 and record and a, and a playoff, playoff appearance and a playoff win. Went to, went to Baltimore and kicked the shit out of them. But uh, different guy. It is, and it's... It's very clear. I mean, it's it's not that he's just all of a sudden a shitty quarterback. His body's just done. It, it, he, it's not that he can't... It's not that all of a sudden he's making terrible decisions, which he does do the YOLO thing, which is weird. I don't know why he's just chucking the ball up more now. I, mean, I think it's because he feels like he has to. Because he can't execute the throws he normally would. So he's having to get rid of the ball quicker. It's putting more stress on his game. It feels like he's processing it. He knows what he wants to do and where he wants to go with the football, but he can't execute it anymore because his body is has just has given out on him. And I think that you're seeing this happen with Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, two big guys that were fairly immobile throughout their career that took a lot of hits, and it adds up. Ben Roethlisberger famous for holding the football and making plays. With his big arm, playing in cold Pittsburgh, that was kind of his calling card throughout his prime. Phil Rivers was always good at, he has that weird release, like the quickest release from the time of, I decide I want to throw it to hitting the receiver's hands in football, but he take he took a lot of hits over the years with the garbage San Diego line back in the, you know, 2010 or whatever, Uh and he is about to, you know, I mean, assuming they get two more wins, he's going to tie Fran Tarkenton for the most wins, quarterback wins that hadn't won a Super Bowl. He'll be second behind Dan Marino. But it, I just think it's time, it's very clearly time for him to hang it up, whether he wants to or not. And he's going to be an impending free agent at the end of the season. I think that it's going to, this ha- has the opportunity to end gracefully, or it has the opportunity to end pretty, pretty ugly. Uh, and we could end up seeing him play. You know, if he tries to hang on two or three more years, like Eli has in New York, I think we're going to look back and think of Phil a little differently than if he just walks out at the end of this year. Because everybody's going to forget about 2019 pretty quick. If he just retires and doesn't look back, you're going to think of Philip differently than if he holds on, plays 2020, 2021, for maybe a new team, because I can't imagine the Chargers bring him back after this year. I don't. They probably don't want to let him go for free. He's been the franchise guy, but I don't really think they're getting much for him. And do they want him to be their their quarterback next year? Because I I got news for you, he's not magically going to turn the clock back Benjamin Button style ten years and start throwing darts all over the gridiron again. Like it's it's over. It's over for him. So will he retire? Not sure. That's kind of going to be his decision, 
But should he? I, I think it's time for Phil to maybe uh, maybe call it a career here as he winds down 2019. Throughout the first half of the season, it was the Miami Dolphins that got all the hate from the general public and Twitter about being the worst team in the NFL. But as it turns out, it's not the Miami Dolphins at all. It is the Cincinnati Bungholes. They are 0-10 as it stands right now. They have six games left on their season. And I think it's finally time, you know, after you get to double digits, we're now here in, uh, I believe it's going to be week 12 coming up. They don't have a win yet. And what's worse than that is they benched Andy Dalton. And the question has to be asked now at this point, are they going to be the first 0-16 team uh, since the Detroit Lions? And... I look at their schedule, and they got Steelers at home, Jets at home, Browns on the road, Patriots at home, Dolphins on the road, Browns at home. I feel like I see a win there, somewhere, on that schedule. Like, Jets at home is a winnable game. Anytime you play the Browns, it's a winnable game. Anytime you play the Dolphins, it's a winnable game. Like, the only sure loss is Patriots. They're going to get absolutely throttled by them. And they're probably going to get crushed by the Steelers. Although... If the Steelers don't look any better than they did against the Browns, the Miles Garrett helmet swing game, if Mason, Mason Rudolph doesn't look any better, that might be a winnable game at home too. I feel like I see 2-14 and 14 for the Bengals. But then it's like you look at their, at their roster, and well, if Ryan Finley starts the rest of the year, maybe I don't. Like I, I don't see how they win a game playing him. Uh, and they were competitive uh, against Oakland only lost uh, 17 to 10, but like absolutely got their dick stomped by Baltimore, 49 to 13. They lost by multiple scores to the Rams, 24 to 10. Lost by 10 at home to the Jaguars, 27 to 17. And it's like, yes, this isn't. It's not a college score. I mean, the Ravens game was, but you can get your ass utterly kicked in the NFL and lose by 14. Like that happens all the time. It's like, well, you only lost by two touchdowns, but it certainly felt like you just absolutely got rolled for 60 minutes. And I think that's a lot of what's going on in Cincinnati. And so while I do think I see a win or two on the schedule, it's just the way the NFL works. If they're truly committed to benching Dalton for the rest of the season, I certainly think it's possible that they go 0-16. And I know that they are now, the whole reason they benched Dalton, whether they want to say it or not, is because they want the number one pick. I mean, they obviously weren't in tank mode until a couple of weeks ago when they made the decision to to pull the red rifle from active duty. But uh, now that they've done that, they're very clearly trying to tank for that number one pick. But it's weird because it's a fine line. I'm, they want the number one pick, but you damn sure know they don't want to go 0-16. <laughs> Going 0-16 is... It's, I think it's probably number one most embarrassing thing you can do in the NFL. I mean, like the dis- the absolute utter disgrace that uh, I remember going around when the Lions went 0 16 was palpable. And so, yeah, it's a it's a weird line that they're gonna have to toe. And I feel so bad for the rookie head coach Zach Taylor. I don't know if he's a good head coach or not. I mean, I, I don't watch much of their games and. I don't think I can derive anything from this season for them. And I don't know if he's going to be one and done. Like, you also have to consider, like, have they ruined him now as the head coach? Like, the dude 
is 0-10. You might go 0-16. Like, especially if they do go 0-16. Like, holy shit. Like, yikes. Maybe you don't bring him back. Like, it, is Bill Belichick going 0-16 with that roster? No. Like, are the, are the truly good coaches? They'll find a way to win a couple, right? You would think. But, uh... Tough to judge and a real shitty situation for Zach Taylor, which uh, bridges me perfectly to our discussion about location. And in real estate, it's the number one thing. Kay Roberts would really appreciate me saying that. Location, location, location is always what they tell you in real estate. But I think it's it matters a lot in the NFL too. And if the Bengals get the number one pick, which it looks like they're going to, you would have to think Joe Burrow out of LSU is going to be a lock to go number one. He's from Ohio, played at Ohio State before he transferred to LSU, and they're going to be clamoring for him. They need a quarterback, obviously. Uh, The writing's on the wall for Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. So they're going to take a QB, especially with Tua's hip injury now. He is, I think, the the frontrunner to go number one overall in the draft. And it is crazy to think about how quick that that thinking has shifted because Tua was a lock to go number one overall. Then it was Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow was uh, an afterthought. And he's going to win the Heisman this year now. He's, gonna, he's probably going to go one overall in the draft, especially if the Bengals are picking. And if you're Joe Burrow, do you pull an Eli Manning and say, do not draft me, I will not fucking play here? Because we have seen an example now of a couple different quarterbacks that I think their NFL careers have been ruined by incompetent ownership and incompetent management. And I think the best example of it in the last couple years is Josh Rosen. But there's several young quarterbacks in the last four or five years that I think I can point to and go, I don't even know if that guy really wasn't that, like if it was his fault. Like he, he never had a chance. He never had a fighting chance coming out of school. Because... Nobody is ready to to just step on, or very rarely, is, is just going to step on the field week one and wow you, and not need any help from his from his coaches, from the roster. Nobody is stepping on the field in the NFL, the National Football League, at age 22, 23, and doing that. You can be a good player, sure, but like you are going to need help, especially at the quarterback position, from your coaches, from the ownership, from the roster. Like if you you're going to get put on the 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 worst roster in the NFL, and you got to luck out, and and hopefully you get a team that maybe just had a bad year. But it's like the Bengals, the Redskins, like some of these teams with just garbage ownership that have just been trash, uh, an absolute dumpster fire. Like since I've been alive, do you really want to go there? Like I think you, I think it might be worth it in Joe Burrow's situation to be like, do not pick me. I'm not coming to there. It's a second-class organization. It always has been. Marvin Lewis did more, and I, and I call I thought Marvin Lewis was a garbage head coach. I have no idea how long how he held on to that job for that long, but he did so much to uh, advance that franchise forward. I heard stories from I've heard stories secondhand from like guys like Carson Palmer and other guys that played on the Bengals before T.J. Hushmanzada has been vocal about this that played on the Bengals before Marvin got there and the, like the horror stories that they tell about the locker room and the way the franchise was run. It's like, yeah, they're like, yeah, I was like a free agent. I had come from, I don't know, the Tennessee Titans or the Minnesota Vikings or the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was like, they were living in the stone age. 
they had to uh, pay at the drink machine until Marvin Lewis got there. And it would close. Like, you couldn't even get water or Gatorade or whatever past a certain time. And it's just it was just little things like that. It's like, what the, what the hell are we doing here? And uh, I heard an interview with Matt Patricia that, that was the same thing. And I think Matt Patricia is like the biggest clown of all time. But he said when he got there, he's like, there's no goalposts on the practice field. There's like, what the hell is this? We're on this is a practice football field in the NFL. We don't have goalposts outside. So, so he, so he had goalposts installed like the first day he got hired. He's like, what the fuck is this? And, and Detroit's another franchise. It's like they've been garbage from the moment that they were founded. And they've never won a Super Bowl. They've never really come close. Their their main claim to fame as a franchise is being owned by Henry Ford, who made his nut in cars, and making two of the game's greatest players retire prematurely in Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. That's their claim to fame. So I think where you're drafted matters so much. And in now kind of bringing it full circle to the guy I was alluding to, as an example of maybe this is why if you're Joe Burrow, you say, no thanks, like I won't play for you if you pick me. Josh Rosen's a perfect example of this. And he, he was my favorite quarterback coming out. And maybe I was just wrong. Maybe, maybe he sucks. I think it's at the, very, at the very least fair to say I was wrong about how good he was. But he gets drafted to the Arizona Cardinals with Steve Wilkes, who ends up being a one-and-done head coach. He's a defensive head coach. An all-new staff in their first season managing the Cardinals. They bring him in. He plays sporadically. Benched, not benched, benched, not benched, benched, not benched. Coach gets fired. They trade him to the Dolphins, who like are trying to pull a Philadelphia 76ers and trade everyone away before the season starts. Then he's benched, he starts, he's benched, he starts, and they're like, oh, well, we're just going to go with Fitzpatrick for the rest of the year. Because he's more polished and he's better at this point. Well, no shit. Fitzpatrick's played for like 10 teams. He's like 37 years old. He's going to look a little bit better in a bad situation than Josh Rosen. I can't take anything Josh Rosen has done in his first two years of the National Football League and make an opinion about him one way or the other at all. At all. Because if he's just straight up sucked, I would sit up here and tell you like, yeah, I blew that one. I can't believe I thought he was as good as he was. It's not a pride thing. It's like, I think where he was drafted mattered a ton. Like, I think if if Bill Belichick goes and scoops him up, when Tom Brady calls it quits, would not be shocked one bit to see him play 10, 15 years in the league. He was the most polished passer, I thought, coming out. I liked him a lot better than Sam Darnold. I liked them both, but I liked Rosen better. I thought he was going to be a stud. And I don't know if it's his fault or the organization's fault. And he's not the only person we've seen this happen to. I think it's happening to Dwayne Haskins right now. He's bench started, bench started. They fire Jay Gruden. He's on his second head coach. He will be on his third head coach going into his second season because they're not going to keep the interim guy. They're going to hire somebody else. Now they finally said, okay, well, Dwayne, you're going to start the rest of the year. Well, he's just he's just absolutely getting destroyed. I mean, just getting mollywopped by defenders. He was pleading with the Redskins linemen on Sunday. Like, what do I have to do to help you? What do I have to do to help you? Which, I don't know if that's a great move. It looks looks like they don't really like him that much. Uh, but is that his fault at all? 
Is it Dwayne Haskins' fault if he fails in Washington? I don't think it is. I don't think you can say, wow, Dwayne Haskins, what a bust. Didn't work out. Because Dan Snyder is the worst owner in American sports history, potentially. One of, certainly. Bruce Allen, one of the worst GMs in American sports history. I, I don't think it's it's one of those, like, it's not your fault. It's the guy who hired you's fault. And the Bears are about to have that conversation with Mitch Trubisky. And that's a situation which, obviously, it's the complete opposite. You could maybe say it's Nagy's fault, but Nagy was the coach of the year last year. And Mitch Trubisky's in year three. And for as poorly as the Bears have been run, I think they're one of the most overrated, like, storied franchise, in quotes. They are. They still do have the tradition, and they care deeply about football. Like, Gil Sayers, Brian Piccolo, uh... Sweetness, I mean, Jim McMahon, the 85 Bears, you even had the, the 05 team with Brian Erlacher, Lance Briggs, and Peanut Tillman, like, they, they, while I don't, I think it's a lot more sizzle than substance for them, and that's of course coming from a Packers fan, a little biased, I don't really like them too much, but they're at least a franchise where, like, if you, dra- if you get drafted by them, you're at least going to a somewhat competent organization that's had some track record of success, and, you know, in the past 20, 30, 40 years. Like, when you get drafted to the Cincinnati fucking Bengals, when you get drafted to the Miami Dolphins, who couldn't even win a Super Bowl with Dan Marino, had him his whole career. Couldn't win a Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> is it the quarterback's fault, really? So it's 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 an interesting concept, and I, th- I think it'll be really interesting to follow when Joe Burrow comes out, because we have, we have some quarterbacks coming out now. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert... Tuataga Baloa, and uh, next year, Trevor Lawrence. So um, it'll just be really interesting to watch. It's it's something that I certainly wouldn't crush any of these guys for this year because we've seen these franchises just chew these guys up and spit them out. Okay, I want to talk about the NFL and its international enterprises as it has grown exponentially, really. I mean, in the last decade, certainly in the last five years, uh as they've played more games in London. We had the game in Mexico this past week. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and I put a lot of thought into this. I think I'm going to write about it and put it on bruiseonthebalcony.com, where you can see all of our articles. You get Nick's got a great one about the Popeye's chicken sandwich going up. We're going to get one up about the, the top 10 best football movies of all time, inspired by uh, the one and only T.J. Weber. But I have thought about this, and it's the question's been posed before. And in Madden, you can move a franchise to London if you want. Because that was kind of the craze. Like a couple of years ago, they were thinking it was going to happen. Then they backed off of it a little bit. But I think that this is starting to garner some more steam again. And I think that there's one team that this makes a lot of sense for. And I'm sure that there's going to be issues. It's not going to be perfect. You would have to switch some things up. But I think you could do it. And I think you could make a killing off of doing this. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are in a wasted market in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't think Jacksonville, Florida needs a professional sports team, not a major professional sports team. It is the only professional sports team in the city of Jacksonville. And I I mean, it's not like they're really killing it out there. But but Shot Khan is a pretty good owner, pretty good guy from what I've heard. Uh, runs the franchise pretty well. I mean, they, now they haven't had a ton of ton of football success, but they they've really turned a corner here recently. AFC Championship game a couple years ago with Blake Bortles at the helm, no less. 
and they are starting to build an identity with Tom Coughlin that they run the ball and their defense is top 10 every year. They've really kind of turned the corner and kind of uh, lost the uh, lost some of that uh, brand of being the expansion franchise that just can't hang with the big boys. I think they've sh- shook that a little bit. Now, they always, like, as long as they wear those candy-ass teal uniforms and their weird-ass mascot logo of the of the Jaguar, I think there's always going to be a little bit of that expansion expansion team stuff floating around. Uh, unless you just kick everyone's ass and shut them up, then that works too. But I think it makes a lot of sense for Khan uh, and the Jags to hop across the pond and go to London. And I'm going to explain it. And I understand that there's problems, and I'm sure I haven't even thought this all the way out. But I've tried to think of like every possible thing. Like, well, what about this? Well, you can't do it because of this. And I feel like it could work. I really feel like it could. First of all, you know that the London market is lucrative. You know now from all the games you've had out there that they love, they love American football out there. Those games, when the NFL goes to London... I heard the last one at Wembley Stadium sold out in like 15 minutes, like record speeds. They love going to those games. Now, is it because it's a special occasion? It happens a couple times a year. Sure, I'm sure there's a little bit of that, but you only got to sell out eight of them a year. You just just stop bringing the random teams over four or five weeks out of the season and just play eight home games for the team that is stationed there. I don't think you'd have... A problem at all selling tickets to that it would be the cat's meow in in london in the uk like people from all over would come to see the national football league and a the first ever london international team playing in an american professional sports league because it is like the mecca to those people and they got the epl and it would probably always be second to the premier league but you, you can't tell me that, that that place wouldn't be sold out every time. And here's the other thing, too. The Estadio Azteca, like the problem with the field in Mexico, and then they had the preseason game in Canada this year, the Packers-Raiders game where the field was a joke, and they had to put, like, pylons out, and they played, like, an 80-yard field. What a joke, first of all. But then they had, like, the Shakira concert for the Mexican game last year, and it ends up getting moved to L.A., and that was the Chiefs, Chiefs Rams. They had it at Estadio Azteca two years ago. It was Raiders Chiefs, and that I think went off without a hitch. But the field last night was a complete joke. It looked like a fairway. Guys were slipping and sliding all over the place, taking divots the size of my femur every time they tried to make a cut. So dangerous. They haven't had that issue at Wembley Stadium. The, the, the stadium there has been great. I don't think there's been any issues there. So I think that's. if you do move a team internationally, that's where you go. And although the logistical challenges are much greater than if you try to put a team in Mexico City or if you try to put a team in Canada, like Toronto or somewhere, I I think that the it's much more of a lucrative operation to put it across the pond. And I think that they just have it figured out a little bit better. Because it's going to be a joke if you try to play eight games a year at Estadio Azteca and the field's a complete disgrace. For NFL athletes and guys are getting hurt all over the place and losing millions of dollars over it. You can't have that as a league. So here's here's my theory then to get around the logistical issue because it's a long flight. It's tough to do. I mean, can you imagine doing that for 17 weeks out of the year plus playoffs? Here's how I think you get around it. I think that you basically break it up into blocks. 
I think that you give whoever is playing in London, the London team, the Jaguars in this instance, you would give the Jaguars four home games to open the year. You would give them then four road games. You would then give them four home games and four road games. So you'd make them like home stands and road stands. So that way it cuts down on the travel. I think it's still fair. You still have the same amount of home games. So what if you play three or four in a row? I I don't think that that's an unfair advantage, really, because then you have to go do that on the road. So, I mean, what's the difference? I think you basically give them a little pad. Maybe you just stick it in Jacksonville, Florida. You keep, like, a uh, headquarters in the U.S. where the team can practice and stay for those four weeks. You just fly to your games. You're already in the United States. You just fly to your games like any normal team would, and at the end of that road stretch, you head back across the pond, and when you play your divisional opponents or the rest of your opponents at home, I mean, that team that you play only has to travel once there once a year, which is already what you're doing with most of the NFL teams. So it's not like it, that's unrealistic to ask. Be, now, maybe it's it, then the AFC South is like, well, what the fuck? Now the Titans and the rest of the teams in that division, the Texans and the Colts, they got to fly their happy asses to London every single year to play a game because you play home and home in the division every year. But I, I don't know. I think that that's fair. I still think it's fair. Because they gotta they gotta fly their happy ass across the pond to play you every year too, so I honestly think that you could make it work. And we've seen time and time again that the NFL cares about its bottom line more than it does anything else. Because I mean, all you have to do is look at the game on Monday night and the dangerous field conditions that they played on Monday night. They didn't give a shit. They don't care if Melvin Gordon tears the ACL, loses millions of dollars, and trying to fight for a new contract. They could care less. They could care less. They want to make money. They're in it to make money. Most of the guys in the league office aren't, aren't football people, like the, like the fans, like the coaches, like the players, like the media. They are business people. They, they, their profession is making money. That is what they went to school for. That is what they're experts at. So if, if it affects the bottom line positively, they will fly your ass from here to kingdom come to get it done. They do not care. So I, I, and I honestly think it would be mutually beneficial. I think it would make the league money. I think it would obviously give you a brand new market in Europe. Those people would be, they would be so rabid for the Jacksonville Jags, which like, let's face it, the Jacksonville Jags, like don't have a crazy, crazy fan base in Jacksonville. I mean, there are some Jags fans I'm sure would get on me for saying that, but when you compare them to like the Steelers or the, the, the Packers or the Bears fan base, some of these more lucrative fan bases, they Jacksonville can't hold a candle to them. And I think that they would if they if they moved 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 to London. They would be going nuts for that team out there. They could lose they could win 3 games and they would sell out every home game they played. So I, I just think it's something to think about, and I think that you could make it work logistically, and I think it would be really intriguing to see. Now, if you if you move to London, you got to ditch the Jaguars' name. Like, take that opportunity to get the shitty teal and the expansion colors out. It's an opportunity for a fresh start. You can call yourself the Monarchs or something. I don't know. Anything but the Jaguars. But uh, so, that, so, yeah, there's my take on it. Let me know what you think. Uh, shoot, shoot us... Uh, Shoot us a text on the voicemail line. Uh, leave us a voicemail. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on the live show on Sunday uh, and let us know what you think. Um, that'll do it for uh, our segments. Let's get to the Thursday pick before I throw it to TJ and then to Nick for his fantasy plays and then to Big Web for his pick and his hashtag prognostication. The Thursday game 
will be the Colts, 6-4 Colts, taking on the 6-4 Texans. Ooh, pretty good Thursday night game, actually. Two 6-4 teams vying for control of the division in the AFC South. The spread is Texans minus 3.5. So, I mean, Vegas is telling you, they think these teams are pretty even. And I got to tell you, I'm riding with the Texans in this one. I rode with the Texans last week, and they burned me. But as has been the case throughout the history of the NFL, when a team gets embarrassed that bad, they usually come back the next week pretty strong. I also think that the Colts are maybe a little overvalued. I think that they're, cer- I think that they're certainly a good football team, but uh, I, I think that the Texans are a much better football team. I think they're, they're better at quarterback. They're kind of a one-man show out on the edge right now with Will Fuller hurt, and their backs aren't very good. Uh, they've had some injuries on defense, but uh, give me the Texans minus three and a half here. That'll do it for uh, my portion of the show. Let me send it over to our colleagues with their picks for the Thursday night game. Mr. Zook, Big Web here. Hey, buddy, talking a little Thursday night football between the uh, Colts and the Texans. Looks like the Texans have been exposed. I know uh, the Ravens are a hell of a football team, but uh, their offensive line was really exposed last time. And uh, I think the Colts are going to be able to hang in this football game. Uh, They gave up – Texans defense also gave up a lot of points. And, again, the Ravens are at another level, but the Colts can move the football. I'm going to go with uh, Indy. Plus the three and a half. That hook is a big deal in this game. I think it's literally going to be a field goal game. So give me the Colts in this one, sir. And uh, appreciate your efforts, young man. You're doing a hell of a job. See ya. Hey, Zuck. Hey, guys. Welcome in. Midweek show. Uh, TJ's one wonderful pick for Thursday Night Football. Texans at home against Indianapolis on Thursday night. Three and a half. Minus three and a half for the Texans. I don't know how the hell... These bookmakers are able to give the Texans minus three and a half. I mean, the team gets absolutely romped last week by the Ravens. Absolutely romped. 41 to 7. I mean, just just absolutely brutal. I mean, just honestly the worst possible case that could happen for the Houston Texans. Just just letting the Ravens come in, hit on their girlfriend, and and take them out to dinner. I mean, that's that's exactly what happened in that game. So, you know, I think in this game. Besides all the analytics, besides the fact that uh, India, Indianapolis, they do have a lot of injuries, but they still are able to move the football a little bit. Marlon Max out, I believe, still. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton's been out. Um, they got a lot of guys that have been injured. However, you know, it's a divisional game. But I'm going to go on the side of the human factor. The fact that the Houston Texans get just absolutely embarrassed last week. I mean, you can't say anything else about it. 41-7, to just brutal loss. And I think they said it's the worst loss in Deshaun Watson's career, which includes college. Uh, so they, they need they need to make a huge impact tonight. They have to absolutely dominate this game against the Colts and move move the damn football because they just looked like absolute shit last week. So because of that reason, I know it's not the best reason to base, you know, if you're going to put some action on the game, we pick it regardless. Um, I honestly would feel good about Houston tonight. I've said that before, it's burned me before, but tonight it feels like one of those games that they have to win, they have to dominate, and they have to absolutely destroy their opponent after getting embarrassed 41-7. to So I'm going to say big day for DeAndre Hopkins, need him, fantasy implications, need him big. I think Watson throws for four touchdowns, I think this is going to be a big time scoring affair, 35-21 to is my final score, so I don't know what the over-under is at. 
But if it's at anything lower than 54, I'd pump the over for sure. Uh, I got Houston tonight minus three and a half. I believe in them. They got to get it done. And if they lose this one or if they keep it too close and don't cover, then, well, maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. But, uh, hey, we'll see what happens. I got the Texans minus three and a half. What's going on, BOTV listeners? Nick Yale back here for week 12 of the NFL season. And, boy, was week 11 a good one for me. Back on top where I belong with the crown. Great performance, great showing. I've been sucking in Thursday night football, though. So Thursday night football, I don't know if you necessarily want to go with what I'm picking. Before we get to that, though, let's get into the fantasy advice of the week. It's uh, trade deadline week before playoffs begin here in a couple more weeks. End of the season, so if you're still vying for a playoff spot down the line, make those trades this week. Make sure you get them done. Most of them, uh, most of the deadlines is Thursday night at midnight. So be sure to get your trades in. If you're looking for, if you look for a trade to make, just do a two for one deal. Give up some of your your uh, average players and go for boom or bust at this point in the season. If you're competing, as far as waiver wire pickups go, one guy I'm looking at specifically on my roster is uh, Hunter Henry, who's out this week on the bye week for the Chargers. So I needed a tight end. Oh, the waiver wire is pretty thin at tight end. Tight end's a position you're only going to be looking to get maybe five, six points out of, if you're lucky, more than that, especially in non-PPR leagues. So I went to the waiver wire and found Ryan Griffin, New York Jets tight end. Uh, had a big week last week, 16 points. Now he's been hit or miss throughout the season. He did have a week where he got 20.6 points. That was his two touchdown week and week eight against Jacksonville on the road. Last week at Washington, five catches, 109 yards, and a touchdown targeted five times. One of Sam Darnold's more go-to targets last week at Washington. And with Chris Herndon on the IR, like we said earlier in the season, Chris Herndon was Sam Darnold's go-to guy at tight end. That was his go-to receiver. Now Ryan Griffin fills that void. So even though the Jets aren't that great of a team, they're at home against Oakland. Oakland has is uh, ranked 30th in pass defense against tight end. So look at Ryan Griffin on the waiver wire. Should be available in most leagues. Only projected 4.4 points, but like I said, if you're looking for a, a stopgap at the bye week like I am with Hunter Henry or maybe somebody else that's on bye or injured, look at Ryan Griffin. Could be a serviceable backup for one week or maybe two weeks at best while you get through these last bye weeks heading into the playoffs. Now for Thursday night football, we have the Indianapolis Colts are on the road at the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson and Texans had a terrible week last week. I mean, just a miserable performance if you were a Deshaun Watson fantasy owner. This week, though, I'm thinking they're going to get back on track. Texans always do well at home. Both teams are 6-4. and four. Colts, they, they're one of those teams that are kind of like the Falcons. They win some, they lose some. You can never really see where it's going. Houston's minus 3.5, and, and it's about even where the money's going. 54% on Houston right now, 46% on Indy, according to Oddshark, which is where we, of course, get all our lines from. It's 3.5 in favor of Houston. I'm sticking with Houston in this one. After watching Deshaun Watson last week just get wrecked, uh, he he needs a uh, he needs a, uh, a performance that rebounds and gets him back in the top 5 QB fantasy uh, performance. So, I mean, last week against the Ravens, they just absolutely manhandled them. This week, I expect Deshaun Watson that offense to get clicking, especially when they, they're at home. They play well at home. So give me the Texans minus three and a half at home. Gentlemen, I will see you on Sunday. Not you, TJ, because you're a bitch and you'll be uh, recovering from the wedding. But look forward to seeing everybody at Cafe Telegraph on Sunday from 1030 to noon.